0: message, the calm of a singular focus, proving God, and uh, one of the challenges that we have uh, as believers, I'm just going to read this illustration, it is in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along, but uh, it'll also be the topic of uh, today's message, and I don't talk about this topic very often, but it will be uh, discussed today. Brother Kuykendall uh, was a pastor in Texas when H.Z. Duke, founder of Duke and Ayers Nickel Stores, asked him if he believed in tithing. To which he replied that he did. Mr. Duke then asked him if he practiced tithing. He answered, no, I do not. I believe in tithing, but I cannot practice it. You see, I have 13 children at home. That's a lot of children. <laughs> uh, every meal, 15 of us sit down at the table. I receive only $125 a month. $1,500 a year as a salary. I have to maintain my own horse and buggy for constant traveling. It is just impossible to take care of all the needs of a family of 15 out of $125 a month and have money left to tithe. So I believe in tithing and I preach it, but I cannot practice it. Mr. Duke then said, I want to set, I want you to set out to give God at least $1250 every month as soon as you get your salary. And then as you feel led, you may give more. I promise you that if you need help, I will give it, he says. Simply write me a letter and say, Brother Duke, I'm giving a tithe, but I miss the money. I need it for my family. I've given this year so much. I promise you he says, that I will send you a check by return mail. Are you willing to try tithing on that basis? Brother Kuykendall was very excited at the offer and began tithing. That year, God took care of his needs in unexpected ways so that he never had to send that letter to Mr. Duke. Near the end of the year, he realized that he had trusted Mr. Mr. Duke's promise to provide for him more than he trusted God's promise. He said, I had taken the word of a man when I did not take the promise of God. Now I had proven God's promises and found that he took care of me and my big family on a small salary. I found that 112 dollars per month took care of the, our family better with God's blessing than 125 did without being under the blessing covenant, which he has made with those who seek first the kingdom of God and who tithe. End quotes there. It came from Dr. John R. Rice. Just a topic of today's message. I have not spoken on this very often at all. And so that will be uh, discussed today of the idea of tithing and giving to the Lord. Calm of a singular focus, Matthew chapter 6, 21 through 34 is our passage uh, this morning as we continue our studies through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Let's look at the August verse of the month on the front side of your bulletin or in the Bible, Psalm 100 verse 4. And this is something that uh, the verse I selected for this month, God just as I was in my devotions, he's continually showing me and teaching me, he says, you know what? Even when life is difficult, you still need to praise God. And you cannot be a good Christian. You cannot be a strong Christian if you cannot learn how to give thanks. And it's a difficult thing. It's a challenging thing. And I know sometimes our hearts break because of certain things going on. And we just have to ask God, please help me to learn um, things that I can give you thanks for. And, uh, and I understand, we all go through some seasons of, of down, but uh, overall, our life ought to be characterized by the ability to praise and thank our great God. All right, let's uh, say the verse, Psalm 100, verse 4, and then we'll say, the, we'll say the reference, the verse, and then the reference again. Are you ready? Psalm 100, verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Psalm 104. Amen. All right. If you have your hymn book, number 367, our next hymn for this morning, blue one uh, as well. All the rest will be in blue. 367, His Way With Thee. And I trust this is true as you sing it, uh, that this is actual truth from your lips. Amen.
1: Would you live for Jesus and be always pure and good? Would you walk with him within the narrow road? Would you have him bear your burden, carry all your load? Let him have his way with me. His power can make you what you ought to. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see. Twas best for him to have his way with me. Would you make him make you free and follow at his call? Would you know the peace that comes by giving up? Would you have him save you so that you can never fall? Let him have his way with thee. His power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see. It was best for him to have his way with thee. Would you in his kingdom find a place of constant rest? Would you prove him true in providential test? Would you in his service labor always at your best? Let him have his way with thee. And make you free. His love can fill your soul, and you will say, 'Twas best for him to have his way with me.' Amen. Our last hymn this
0: morning, number 485, in your blue hymnal, 485. Revive us again. Amen. Number 485. And we will sing the first and the last on this one. The first and the last. uh, 485, 485, 485. Revive us again, 485, in your blue hymnal.
1: We praise thee, O God, for the Son of God. Revive us again, fill each heart with. Love.
0: singing this morning good singing amen revive us again hallelujah Thine the glory amen god gets all the glory that's where it all belongs to our precious savior and only redeemer jesus christ If you have your bibles this morning would you turn with me to matthew chapter 6 matthew chapter 6 verses 21 through 34 matthew chapter 6 uh, verses 21 uh, through 34 and uh, on June 2nd, 1952, Queen Elizabeth II was crowned Queen of England in Westminster Abbey. The Archbishop of Canterbury presented her to her the vast assemblage of people and asked, Do "You take Elizabeth to be your true and lawful liege Lord?" From the assembled multitude rolled back a single word, "I." She then took the coronation oath, received a Bible, celebrated communion and was seated on the coronation chair. She was anointed, clothed in a cloak of gold, given the orb, the ring, the scepter, the insignia of power, crowned with the glorious crown of St. Edward and pledged the homage of her people. The guns of London fired a salute and the new monarchy left the abbey in grand and colorful procession for a banquet of state. But from that day to this, obviously she just passed not long ago, Queen Elizabeth II has never made a single decision affecting the government of her kingdom. The Prime Minister of England and the members of the English Parliament do all that. All that she does is sign their decisions in law. That is a constitutional monarchy, a monarchy in which the king is such only a name in which all the real power is in the hands of the people. Now that was the kind of kingdom the devil offered the Lord in the wilderness. And it is the same kind of sovereignty many professing believers offer Christ in their lives today. That is not the kind of monarchy God intends him to have. He's going to uh, offer, that, that many professing believers, you know, that he is going to be Lord of all. Thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And, you know, let me read that again. That, that is not the kind of monarchy God intends Christ to have. He is going to be Lord of all. As we think about that, in, here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 21 through 34, our pleasures, that which gives us pleasure, is affected by who is my master. The Lord Jesus is concerned with our priorities and our pleasures, as our pleasures are a result of our heart's affections. What you love, you give into. You give your time, your resources, for which you love. Jesus Christ, in this passage of Scripture here on the Sermon on the Mount, which has been going through for quite some time, he's concerned with our laying up of treasures, which is an indicator of the direction of our heart. Now Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart the man speaketh. Luke 6, 45. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Do we realize that if our life is focused on Christ, if my life is given to the Lord Jesus Christ, then I'm not given as we'll look in this passage of Scripture, to a worry about my finances and provisions. Because I understand who is the provider. Look with me in Matthew six twenty one, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Good question. Can your worrying ever change your situation? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider, I mean, why do you take thought for your clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? All of these resources all involve finances. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself." Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. If, you are, if a someone is given to materialism and pursuing their own lusts and desires, then their money will be a source of great stress, consternation, and ambition. A failure to let Christ be your master will lead to anxiety every time. I want you to look with me at Philippians chapter 4 still in my introduction here, but I I want to lay down some points here on this. In Philippians chapter 4, an individual who is constantly worried about money is an individual who is not right with God. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and it's an indicator, if I begin to worry, then there's something in my own heart, and do I ever worry? Yes, I do. I'm not saying I'm above this, I haven't... You know, I, I'm learning, okay, just because I'm preaching and I'm still learning, just as you are. But in Philippians chapter 4, be careful. That word in careful there is an imperative. It's a command. Like my daughter running across the about ready to run across the street and I yell, stop. That's an imperative. Stop. And that be careful there is don't be anxious, don't be unduly concerned. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, this is Philippians 4, 6. But in everything, by prayer and supplication. Okay, so something's coming upon you, an unexpected bill. Prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, what did we just talk about praises? With thanksgiving, let my request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Something unexpected happens. A debt. Something else happens. Something out of my control happens to me. Bring that prayer and supplication. So number one, in all your anxiety, are you praying? Number two, are you thanking the Lord? Do you understand that a person who does not tithe, regularly attending services, is potentially, many times, someone will work and they never attend church, or little attend church, they don't tithe. Well, they're given to a worry more for themselves than they are for God. God gives us our jobs. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can control the financial input we receive. Psalm 50, verse 10, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. So many people do not regularly give to the church, do not get involved in missions, do not give their time to serving the Lord through the church, Because they're rather seeking the kingdoms of earth over the kingdom of heaven. Other minds are so consumed with life and the accumulations of goods, toys, hobbies, that the kingdom of earth matters more than the kingdom of heaven and simply living by faith. What we must be called to do... Let's have a singular eye on serving, giving, and trusting, and know from experience God's comfort, provision, and security. And as we think upon these truths this morning, I trust it's a very convicting message. As I'm continuing here in this series and studying it and looking at it. And, but as we think about the implications of our worries... So oftentimes, we as Christians behave like a non-Christian. We resort to worry, anxiety, fear, anger, frustration, and all of the things exactly as a world that does not know Christ does. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I yield this morning to Thee. And Lord, I know this is a challenging topic. Uh, Father, I know it's something that hits home with our hearts and ultimately, Lord, our affections. What is the direction? What is the foundation of our heart's love? Lord, is it the kingdom of heaven? Is it the Lord Jesus Christ or is it just this earth? And Lord, those who worry, including myself, Lord, at times, Father, I show how attached I still am to this earth. Father, this day I pray that you'd help us to see the errors of our ways. And Lord, to be holy and pure before you. Totally committed to Jesus Christ. And God, may you be glorified. I love you, Lord. I thank you for being our precious Savior. God, you take over. And God, I trust that you've been blessed. And and Lord, you've been pleased with the singing and the fellowship thus far. God, use my lips. I'm your servant. And God, help us to live godly. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. When you think about, in uh, in verses 21 through 24, the light of the body is the eye, the input of your senses, it calls us to have an eye that is single. And programs, you know, in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus, he condemns the church of Ephesus for having left their first love. First love, Christianity. You know, when I was getting to know my wife and her parents are here, and I got to know them, man, I couldn't wait to get on the phone with her. I couldn't wait to talk with her, be with her. It was, I mean, it just consumed my mind. And probably too much, and I should have, you know, still my relationship with the Lord, but there are times, you know, I just, I wanted to be with her. A singular focus. And God has called us as believers to have a single eye, a singular focus. He wants all of my affection, my attention. When, I get hit, when He has my affection and my attention first, I can happily give love and joy to others. But until that eye is single, your eye is going to be all over the place, and you're going to have problems. And he tells the church of Ephesus, if you leave your first love, you've forgotten it, but if you stay away, I will remove the candlestick. And churches made up of Christians who have lost their first love, they will love many things, they will have many worries, but they will not be a good Christian. And pleasures for oneself will never satisfy. You can get a nice toy. You can put it on credit. You can put it on debt. I'm going to make payments to this. I'm going to get this thing. But I guarantee you, it will never give the satisfaction of, that a singular eye for Christ will. Never. In, first, first, uh, in Psalm 5, 4, For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. You see, here's the thing. It's God's on oh, godly pleasure, all of creation was created for God's glory. We were created to be in fellowship, and have a singular eye upon the Lord. We are fe- we to fear the Lord and bring Him pleasure. And I'll talk about a fear of the Lord tonight as we look at Revelation 11. We have been called to separate from paganism and heathenism and perform according to God's word, Ezra chapter 10, verse 11. To do His pleasure and separate yourselves from the people of the land. And from the strange wives. And the fact is, an idea of separation from wickedness. You know what, Christian? We ought not to have an affinity or have an attraction to evil, to wickedness. The things of the world ought not to pull us. And, And you think about this, God has pleasure in the prosperity of the obedient. Look with me at Psalm 35, 27. Christian, sometimes in our lives we think it's too difficult, too hard to trust in God. Just as I had in the illustration in our bulletin, I, couldn't, I can't do it. Again, my eye is only thinking upon what is temporary. I'm only thinking of what I can do, what I can provide, what I can make. I'm not thinking about what God can do. And so often we say, he's the creator, he's the almighty one, he can do anything. So why can't I trust him? Why can't I simply follow him? In Psalm 35, 27, let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel, but I am saying that when we are moving forward for the Lord and we have an eye that is singular, we are very wealthy with God. Your bank account might not show it because your bank account doesn't determine your spiritual level with God. Whether it's low or high or anywhere in between, your bank account is not a, it doesn't set your spiritual level. And here's the thing, the curse of man's pleasure, all sin is addictive. All sin is pleasurable, but for a season, all sin brings consequences and bondage. And so often it's given a living for pleasure over God, and it leads to your loss. Your pleasures affect your eye and your heart. Greed removes God's blessings. You can be poor and still be greedy. You can be rich and be greedy, or anywhere in between. It's a love of your heart. Many idols of spiritual adultery, they reveal your wickedness. Your pleasure is your, either your doom, and it's, your pleasure is either your doom and snare, or it's your pleasure in the Lord. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, as the Scriptures tell us. Your pleasures will either defile or purify. And Here's something that happens in the action of the light. God has called us here in Matthew chapter 6. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. Now if your eye is single, you're full of light. Here's the principle. Look with me at Romans 12. You cannot be a right Christian with God and have a non-singular eye. What do I mean by a non-singular eye? I'm saying... Let me put it in some sports terms. Romans 12. Thank you for the reminder. In Romans chapter 12. In sports. I used to play soccer. And I've seen some reels and some clips sometimes of a goalie in soccer. They kicked the soccer ball. And the goalie, he jumps for the ball, not realizing his location within the uprights of the goal, and sometimes he gets injured, might even hit the poles, but all he's so focused on is that soccer ball not making it into this net. That's the only thing that matters. I don't want that ball in my net. And sometimes, even at his own personal injury, that ball's not making it into the net you think, how foolish, it's just a soccer game. You know, sometimes when I played soccer, I'm like, I don't want to get hurt, you know. <laughs> I didn't have a singular focus. But in our Christian life, I, I, you know, it, and as I go back to many times a dating scenario, when you're in love with someone, it's all you can think about. I mean, it, it, it just consumes your time, your resources, and you're just thinking, I want to be with that person. Revelation chapter, excuse me, Romans 12. Romans 12, excuse me. If I said Revelation, I mean Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, what does he say? A living sacrifice. Holy, now it's the manner of how I live out my life, acceptable unto God, which is, am I pleasing to him? Which is your reasonable service. It's only reasonable because he died and gave his life for mine. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's singular eye is it's all on Jesus. You realize this that my time does not belong to me? Your time does not belong to you? You might think it does. In Ephesians chapter 5, 14 through 16. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly. That word circumspectly here is walk cautiously, carefully. How do you live out your life? You know, if we're just cavalier and whatever comes, I'm just going to be like, okay, boop, boop. You just kind of jump at it, you know, kind of impulsive and all this. He says, I want you to walk carefully with diligence. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. Why do I want to redeem the time? Because the days are evil. You know, it's so easy to waste time. And God, and I'm continually, like, okay, how do I maximize my time? How do I, you know, and, and, and I need to work on it. I need to increase that. How do I use my time the most effectively? Colossians 4, 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. So this whole idea here of a singular eye full of light... And then verse 24, no man can serve two masters. You see, if I am my own master of how I use my time, I am the master of what I do with my time, my weekends, my weekdays. I'm not going to give myself to doing things for God. I'm not going to give myself to doing things at church. I'm not, I'm, I'm, it's all for me. Well, the fact is, then what we're saying is I'm serving the master of me, not the master of Christ. Charles Spurgeon preached a thousand in London each Lord's Day. Yet he started his ministry by passing out tracts and teaching a Sunday school class as a teenager. He was eventually invited to obscure places in the countryside to preach, and after that, became known as one of the greatest preachers in England. Spurgeon said, I am perfectly sure that if it I had not been willing to preach to those small gatherings of people in obscure country places. I should never have had the privilege of preaching to thousands of men and women in large buildings all over the land. You see, Christian, a singular I is where it starts with surrender. And if we don't, then the anxiety of life will come. Verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Because there's a master of the world. You're your own master. You're your own destiny. And that fact here, the statement he says, take no thought, is a present imperative. It is a command. In a bad sense, it is to be anxious, overly concerned about, worried about, apprehensive. As we mentioned in Philippians 4. And then he says... He goes through all of this, verse 28. And why take ye thought for raiment? You know, and, and, and all this passage here, that his call, he says, verse 31, therefore take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? And then verse 34, take therefore no thought for the morrow. He's called us. He says this ought not to be a continual concern. I want to show show you something. Luke 12, 29. Why did I say that many times Christians can look like the world and act like the world? I can say I love Jesus all day long. I can say I'm something I'm not all day long. And you're going to look at me like, okay, he's crazy. He's silly. I can say all day long I'm a duck. Well, I can quack like one, maybe. But I definitely can't float like one. I can't fly like one. And you look at me and say, uh, that's the duck preacher. He's a little crazy. He's not a duck. Because I'm trying to be something I'm not. And Christians say, I'm a Christian. but <laughs> well, There's nothing representing Christ in them, or through them, or out of them. Because, woo! I love Jesus! And then my life looks exactly like someone who has never put their faith in Christ. And the world looks at you like, hmm. There's some contradiction here. I don't quite understand it. Let's look at me at Luke 12, Luke chapter 12, verse 29, Luke 12, 29. We'll read through verse 32. In verse 29 of Luke 12, I got to get there myself. I was in Luke 11. Let's try that again. Luke 12:29, "And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things. look with me here: For all these things do the nations of the world seek after." And your father knoweth that you have need of these things. Here's a question: The nations seek after food and drink and clothing and housing and all sorts of things that we just need for living. That is a perpetual mindset. That's what the world seeks after. That's what the world's mindset is. Help this impoverished nation. Help this. I mean, but it's it's just our concern. But he gives a very clarifying contrast here. Your father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There's a contrast Of what is the mindset? Oh, I got this bill. I got this. I got this worry. I got to work more. I got to do this. I got to do all this stuff. I got to do this. What does your father want? What is God calling you to do? You see, there's a contrast that God, but and your father knoweth. Does that enter our thought process? Does that enter to my heart? that God still knows what I need. You know, not only for eating and drinking and the clothes and the house. He knows the relationships I need. He knows the church I need. God knows all of this. He knows the job I need. Here's some thoughts on finances. It is not a matter of how much money I will give to God, but how much of God's money will I keep for myself? And that comes from an unknown author Here's some fleeting wealth, and I'm not saying, and I'll, I'll get into this idea of tithing 10%. This is what God's called. And I remember as a young child, let me give you, or as a young adult, I guess it's not a child, but I was an adult, young adult. And I was at a church that wasn't, it wouldn't be a decent church. There were some real challenges there. Anyways, but God showed me and taught me I knew this principle, I knew that I, what God gave me, I owed back to him, some of it, 10%. But as I was here, I had a position in my own personal life where I thought, well, I just, I mean, I was in university, I couldn't, af- I thought I couldn't afford it, so I withheld. The first time it happened, my car broke down, and it was a big bill. I was like, oh, okay, well, Whatever. The second time I said, "Well, I'm not going to tithe," my car broke down again, and it was like multitudes more, and the—I mean, it was just like the Spirit saying, "You need to tithe." I said, "Okay, Lord, I will." And was I in a, was I where I'm at today? No. Was I in a good place? No. But God was teaching me. I've given you, and you know what? Even during Bible college, and we were very poor and didn't make a lot. And Sometimes when I needed extra money, God would give me a second job. Or you know, sometimes my mother-in-law would send a big box of goodies. She didn't know, but we didn't have the money for things. And, and God just worked, and, and I, we didn't mention these things. But we saw God provide. James Marshall left his family home in New Jersey as a young man, and like so many others, began a migration west. After contracting malaria while living in Missouri he was advised to go further west and in 1845 he arrived in California. He worked a number of different jobs and served in the army during the Mexican-American War of 1846. When he got out Manny and earlier befriended John Sutter entered a partnership again a, a partnership agreement with Marshall to build a sawmill. When they discovered that the spill well they had constructed was too narrow to handle the amount of water needed to operate the mill, they began the process of enlarging it. On the morning of January 24th, 1848, as Marshall examined the channel, he found large flakes of pure gold, sparkling one of the greatest gold rushes in history. But Marshall did not profit from the discovery. The mill project failed. His mines did not produce. A vineyard he bought went bankrupt in his old age. He he was reduced to abject poverty. Marshall died alone in a small shack. Wealth is easy for us to trust. If God blesses us and we begin to accumulate financial resources, we must be on a guard against them becoming an idol in our hearts. Paul instructed his protege Timothy to issue a warning to the rich members of his church. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us, who giveth us riches, all things to enjoy. And you find this in First Timothy six seventeen. And your ability, and so the idea here again: take no thought what you eat or drink. Your ability to give is a measure of your trust and worship. It's just the start of the Christian life, the, the early days. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, the Apostle Paul admonished the church of Corinth, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. As God hath prospered him, there be no gatherings when I come. You see, it's a personal relationship with God. There's no one in a church that's going to come and say, well, you made this. No one knows. It's between you and God. In Exodus chapter twenty-three, the first of the firstfruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt. Not, he says, "Listen, the firstfruits. Give God the first, the best." And oftentimes we give him the pittance of what's left. Give. One unknown author said, "Give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving." The question. And look with me, at Matthew twenty-two, twenty-one. Because ultimately, you're not going to give if you don't trust God. You won't. Do you trust God? You could say, Pastor, you're being self-serving. No. You realize the church is here, and we are here, as my wife and I, because there are believers elsewhere that see fit that... They want a church here, and, they, and God, you know, in mission, support, helps us to be here. Above and beyond, they give to their local churches to support to be here. In Matthew twenty two twenty one, 21, they, Matthew twenty two twenty one, they say to him, see, uh, let's give you a little bit of uh, 18, give you a little bit of context, but Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? show me the tribute money, and they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, whose is this image and superscription? Now, they were asking him, uh, you know, should you pay taxes? And he says, show me the tribute money, and they brought unto him a penny. He saith unto them, whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. And saith he unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. I mean, they sought to entangle him. Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? They ask him. But he says, Jesus says, that which is Caesar's you give to him, that which is God's you give to him. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, a very foundation of our heart, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Here you go, God. Ah! <laughs> That's not a, not a good attitude. A cheerful giver, out of the abundance of my heart. Nothing brings us the real. Reali- Nothing brings us to the realization of our priorities better than hearing what God has to say about the subject of money. Giving is not a matter of can and can't, but will or won't. And look with me at Genesis chapter fourteen. This take no thought, the trust in God. Genesis chapter 14, I know we have a lot of visitors here, a number of visitors here today, and this isn't my normal message, this is the first message I think I've given on this in a very long time. Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham, of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand, and he gave him tithes of all. And here is a tithe given after the proceeds of helping Abram get his family back as they were taken captive and kidnapped. Hebrews 7-2 tells us, To whom, Abraham, to whom also Abram, Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Abraham gives a tenth part of all to Melchizedek. A pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this. We can go out to eat and we tip the waiter or the waitress based upon what we purchased. But yet we don't want to give back to God a portion of what he has given us and requests of us. Tithing is not giving, it is bringing. Genesis chapter 28, Jacob would give a tithe. Look at me here, Genesis 28. Verse 20. Genesis 28, 20. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat, and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. He says, God, if you'll be be with me and help me, And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. He says, listen, I'm going to give you, God, a tenth. A tenth. Look with me at Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, the book right before Matthew in your New Testament, so the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3. Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, right? So Malachi chapter 3. Verse 8, Malachi 3.8. I was looking at Micah. (laughs) Let's try that again, Malachi 3.8. Will a man rob God, yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. So he's saying, listen, you've robbed me. The story is told of a man who had a horrible dream. He said, I dreamed that the Lord took my Sunday offering and multiplied it by ten, and this became my weekly income. In no time I lost my color TV, had to give up my new car, and couldn't make my house payment. After all, what can a fellow do on ten dollars a week? If the Lord took your offering, multiplied it by ten, and made that your weekly income, how much would you make? You think about that. Tithing was in the times of Israel. Nehemiah 10. Tithing is the first fruits. Proverbs chapter 3. The first fruits of all that increase. The pre-tax deduction, right? It's to be given on the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16. Now, concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so ye do upon the first day of the week. Let every one of you lay by him store as God hath prospered. Again, it's a, it's a condition of our, my personal relationship with God. Often a cold heart and a stingy hand go together. The more passion our faith, the more consistent our giving. Stewardship is not about raising money, it's about raising Christians who willingly just trust God. And so, as you think about these very things missions, how do we support missionaries abroad? Giving to the Lord. Offering for the persecuted churches, Romans 15. Poor Macedonians, the churches of Macedonia, they would collect and they would give to the church of Jerusalem whom Paul had taken many people, put them into prison. Now you have widowers and all sorts of things there. And they're impoverished. And so the churches of Macedonia are helping them in missions. Paul would say, I robbed other churches, taking wages of them. So he could service other churches. Paul did some work, but he was also supplied by various churches. A lot of times the Philippian church. And I'm going to leave it there for this morning, upon this thought, and I'll continue it next week, but as you think upon this very idea of take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body, and the raiment. Your father hath no your father knows what you need. In this world. In this country, with abundant wealth, you're like, well, I don't have the wealth. <laughs> it's not about what we do or do not have. It ultimately comes down to a condition of our heart. Am I going to just simply do what God's called me to do, live by faith, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please Him, Hebrews 11, 6. If I can't simply trust God with my resources, with my time, give to God, serve God through the church, be faithful in church, faithful in service to church, then how can I say God is my God when I'm in control of all of my life? We're too oftentimes serving two masters. And the result is we're having a lot of troubles because you're divided. If God can take care of the birds and the grass and the things that we see all around us that are so beautiful, and we were at the falls yesterday, it was gorgeous. And we are made in the very image of God. Why don't we think that God can just take care of all of my needs? I'm not telling you, you have to give. God calls us to give, but that's between you and the Lord. If you're going to be obedient or not. So the question this morning is, first of all, you're not going to want to give if you're not even surrendered to the Lord, if you don't even know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you've never asked him to forgive you your sins and be your Savior, why would I want to give? It's pointless. And I understand. It is pointless if you don't know Christ as your Savior. Because there's that relationship. If you don't have a relationship, why would I want to give to something I'm not behind? And I agree with you. We're not calling unbelievers to give. It's a calling of believers that serve and follow the Lord. So the first thing you must do is accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. He died on that cross and rose again for you and for me, for all the wickedness we've done. We all deserve hell. And Christian, take no thought. Stop your worry. Stop your all the anxieties and all the the distress and confusion and all of that. We need to start praying. (laughs) We need to start thanking the Lord, bringing these before the Lord. Philippians 4.6. That needs how to be how we deal with difficulties. And say, God, if you'll help me, I will be obedient. And just live by faith. And you do what God calls you to do. What the Word of God calls you to do, I'm not going to tell you what to give. God calls us to tell, but I'm not going. I can't go beyond what the Bible says, because then you're following a man, not God. But Christian, it ultimately comes down to who do you trust. Will you simply just trust God, that He will provide, as He promised He would? Is He trustworthy? That is the question this morning. For those of you who know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if I can have Mrs. Pat come forward for the invitation, please. Churches won't run. Ministry won't go forth. The Gospel won't be spread unless Christians will just live by faith. God may prosper you. You could be wealthy, you can be poor. That doesn't make you a good Christian or bad Christian. Are you willing to trust God that he'll provide what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, your life, like your health? Stop worrying. And understand this. There's a calm in your spirit when you have a singular focus as the music plays for a time of invitation with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to just challenge you. Do Will you just trust God? You might say, Pastor, are you willing to trust God? I do. Every month. The church doesn't support me. We can't yet. But it's not about me. It's will we just trust God? Matthew 7, 11, as you're there, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? (laughs) I I need to live by faith. I need to trust that God will provide. That is where it starts. Are you surrendered to follow God? If you have questions about anything this morning, concern, I'd love to speak with you. And may God get the glory as we live our lives. Amen? Just a moment longer as the the music plays, but ultimately our service for God, our anxiety and how we live our life, our ability to praise or not praise, comes down to a matter of trust. We need to stop trusting in ourselves, stop trusting in anything else, and trust Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I yield today to Thee. Father, I love You, and I thank You for being our precious Savior. I thank You for how good You've been. And Father, I know sometimes when things are meager, and we're like, I don't know what I can do, and Father, I have been there. Many of us have been there. I don't know how I can go forward. But Father, would we just take Your Word at face value, rather than trying to conjure up a, a way of trying to circumvent the Scriptures and find loopholes, or will we just trust what You say and follow it? And Lord, I yield today to Thee. I love You. Thank You for being our precious Savior. We go before You and guide us. Pray, should there be anyone here that is not saved, that is not certain of their salvation, if they were to die, or they would go to an priceless eternity in hell forever trust that they'd accept jesus christ as their savior and god i thank you for this morning Lord, thank you for challenging my own heart as i think about just simply trust god thank you for being so good in your precious name i pray amen god bless you tonight